Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Now, before we get into today's episode, just wanted to remind y'all that we do have Spooky Bunch merch online currently on our merch store. And for a nice little discount, you can go ahead and put in the code SPOOKY2022 and you'll get 15% off. That's SPOOKY, all capitals, S-P-O-O-K-Y, 2020. So make sure to check out our merch store for all your merch needs and for that discount code. But without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, all y'all nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Spooky Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, fascination, all in the large part of the horror nation. That's the only way I could figure out how to, the I, I couldn't get it to rhyme otherwise. Um, what was that? I just needed a rhyme. It felt better like in forest. I didn't I, like it. We're super excited to have another very fun packed episode for you all today as you'll notice this one might be a little bit of a surprise because this one points to the fact that we have five weeks in october this year which means that this is going to be a little bit of a special spooky bunch edition for you all to coincide with those five weeks of halloween this year now before we get into anything my name is matt i'm your and i'm joined by my two good friends and fellow co-hosts I'm CJ. And I'm Spooky Brittany. And today, I can guarantee a little bit later on, we will have a lot of very spooky stories to share with you all around the good old campfire. For now, though, before we get into anything, Brittany and CJ, how are y'all doing this week? I'm doing pretty well. I've just been, you know, working and excited for because the, um, new hocus pocus 2 came out and at time of recording i haven't seen it but i'm sure it will be interesting yeah that's right up your alley that's right up your alley i love i i love a good classic disney channel halloween movie i watch halloween town all of them every single year you know my favorite which one twitches 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 and Twitches too. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Twitches. Um, I have to watch that every year as well. So this is this is my this is my time. I don't do spooky. I don't like spooky things, but a good Disney Channel original Halloween movie. Those are the classics. Those are the classics. If you don't like spooky things, today might not be the best day for you Ooh, to be on this it's podcast. Spooky, Brittany. 100% probably gonna have night beer. Gonna night have beers? Night beer. I love a night beers. <laughs> I'm gonna need a That's night beer after hearing after, all of these. It's all sounding like we've beer. already had a couple of night beers. Apparently, we're all 100% so. <laughs> we are. I'm, I mean, I'm drunk on the crab I had for dinner. That was delightful. Dang, that sounds great. Yeah, it you was like really, crab? really good. No, I like crab. I love crab. I had I shrimp. I had gumbo. I did a great. I had I had scrimp. I had scrimp for dinner too. I had fried scrimp. <laughs> I love seafood. I'm on the seafood diet. I see food and I eat it. 
Anyways, has everyone stated how they were doing this week? I didn't think I no, I didn't think CJ did. No, I didn't. I've uh, I've been good. I've been good. So this week I uh actually gonna be leading a uh, accessible bird outing with the Chicago Audubon Society, and we're gonna be doing it at Humboldt Park. So keep an eye out for that. I'll probably be sharing with social media. Uh, but yeah, that's probably gonna be happening this weekend. So get excited. That's awesome. I'm very, very, very glad to hear that. This week has been kind of crazy for me, uh, but I was kind of lucky enough to see this little talk that was put on at a senior center near me um, by a a podcaster who happens to have a show broadcast on um, Cincinnati Public Radio. Uh, Her name was Jennifer Jewell, and she's a kind of like a gardener botanist person. She's written a couple books, though, um, about cultivating space and like using gardens to kind of you know retake nature in a lot of ways i thought it was a really really fascinating talk and then they invited us on like grad students on like this panel to talk so you might hear me on cincinnati public radio i'm not positive it was kind of a weird thing uh, but it was very very cool it was very very cool talk to see it was just a cool experience that ended up being really really fruitful with that said though um today's gonna be a little bit of an altered episode uh we won't have a current event for you because today we're just going to tell spooky stories for y'all, but I suppose we should maybe head on into our spooky creature feature. So today's creature feature is actually the second of its kind in that it may not actually be considered a creature feature. In fact, it's a non-creature creature feature. And it's the first of the kind in the fact that it is actually a plant. Yes, there was one year that we had a fungus, the cordyceps fungus. There was one year where we had an extinct species, maybe two, depending on how you would like to look at the ivory-billed woodpecker. Yeah. But this year... Today's episode, we are talking about flowers in the genus known as Rafflesia, R-A-F-F-L-E-S-I-A. Now, Rafflesia flowers are very, very, very cool. You can find them in the old world. So a lot of them can be found throughout Southeast Asia, Indonesia, areas like that. And they are these really large, beautiful, enormous flowers where the buds rise from the ground. And you, you, you don't even see this leafing structure. It's just this big old red flower. And the reason that I wanted to feature the non-creature known as Rafflesia is because it is actually a parasitic flowering plant. So you may have heard of parasites before. Essentially, it is an organism that relies on another organism to survive in a way that it also harms the other organism. So this isn't symbiosis to where both are benefiting. In parasitism, specifically, you have one is the benefactor and the other, its quality of life is lowered. And in the case of Rafflesia, what you have is they will implant basically all of their plant structures and all that aside from that flower, within vines that will grow alongside the floor or something like that 
It has no stems, leaves. It has no roots. All it has is an absorptive, absorptive organ inside the actual vine. It then will siphon all of their little, you know, the the what is it called all the nutrients and the water and stuff like that takes it in and then it has this massive flower which if you're not aware flowers are modified leaves flowers are modified leaves that when you know they're put out there rather than for being sun absorption which is why leaves are green flowers are usually for attracting pollinators stuff like that in the case of the Rafflesia flower, they have this noxious foul, foul odor that smells like rotting flesh. And they also kind of have this weird rotting flesh look that attracts insects such as flies, which then transport the pollen. So rather than providing nectar, what they do is they provide this very sickly smell. The bugs go around these parasitic flowers and they pollinate those parasitic flowers to continue the act of parasitizing these vines, sucking out their nutrients, their water, and then spreading by way of stuff that loves decay. Now, plants, plants I've found are very hard to kind of make seem super spooky sometimes. You've obviously got the predatory ones. You've obviously got ones that can kill you, you know, the nightshades and all that. But I do think a parasitic flower, which smells like rotting flesh, to attract stuff that eats decay is just about as spooky as it gets. What are our thoughts on the Rafflesia genus? Is this the corpse flower? No. So the corpse flower is actually different. It is the largest flower. Is it not the... Because it has the same sort of deal. It has... So there's actually a ton of flowers out there that uh, do that whole de like gross death scent thing. Um, but Rafflesia is particularly like... It is a parasite as well. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we were to tear it, it would have to be like. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, based off of all of our other tier lists we've ever given, like if they do the same thing as a lot of other plants, well, we, we yeah. put it in D tier. However, C or D, but this one has its own little flavor. I was gonna say. I was gonna say it's not this quite the own, same. Yeah, this one has its own little flavor. It's an I'm actual a big parasite. Fan big fan of like doing its own thing not a big fan of parasitism, however so that you know is that really a i mean i don't know i i think it's a really interesting idea of like a plant being parasitic right like we don't normally think of plants in that way we think of mm -hmm. maybe fungi that way or animals that way like particularly with insects you know it's a really interesting concept that i had not put too much thought into so i'm gonna have to reflect on how i feel but I do. I, you're joking, but like, I will think about this flower. I I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to learn more. That's for sure. I don't know, and this this is something that is also really interesting. So, Amorphophallus is that corpse flower, um, and Rafflesia is this flower that we're talking about here. Um, both of them have 
distinction of being the largest flowers or flowering plants or something like that. Rafflesia has the largest single flower of any flowering plant in terms of weight. Um, there's some distinction as well. So I'm not going to try and give any, you know, description as to because I don't know what the words monocarpic or anything like that are. are However, I will say that family. Hmm? Sorry, are they in the same family? No. So Amorphallus is um it, that is the genus is Amorphophallus. Um and Rafflesia is the genus of Rafflesia in the family Rafflesiaidae. I'm leaving all that in. Um, can I just say, I don't know if you said it in your air quotes creature feature, but this flower just looks like vile plume. Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm fairly positive that vile plume is based upon it. Yeah, but why didn't you say that? Because I wanted you to look it up, and I'm what glad is, you did. Just, what is that? Vile plume's a Pokemon. Okay. It looks exactly like it. Oh, so um, the vile plume flower is also known as the stinking corpse lily. So there you go. It looks exactly like it. Oh, that's why you should have led with that. It's a very cool flower, and the it's fact a, that it's a, it's a cool flower. It's a cool flower. And now I'm very excited because that will go on the design for the merchandise as well. That's going to be really pretty on the design. Anyways, if you'd like to check that out, make sure to check out our merch store at thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. Then go to Spring. Any other thoughts on the, the creature feature-ish, non-feature creature, non-creatured featured before this we go on? One. This was a really, really good one. I'm glad that yeah. you brought this one up. I, I think it's really cool. I was going to do the deadliest insect in the world, but I decided against it. The mosquito? It is the skeeter. Although I will say, I have learned in teaching entomology some horrifying things about things that are like right in like our backyards. So if you ever I want like sleeping at night, no, thank you. Yeah, you don't need it that much. I don't know whose comment was more brutal. <laughs> well, in that case, we've sufficiently featured our non-creature. So let's move into the main bulk of today's episode. Let's sit outside around the campfire. <laughs> All right, everyone. I kind of want y'all to join me because it is a nice, crisp fall night. It's about 60 degrees. The sun is down, the moon is out, the stars are shining out here in Oxford, Ohio, or Chicago, Illinois, or Misery, or wherever you're hailing from as you're listening right now. If you listen real close, you can maybe hear a twig snap every once in a while, but most importantly, you hear the small little pops and the crackles of the fire right ahead of you. You're sitting here, joining your two, three actually very good friends and co-hosts matt Brittany, and cj and you're probably really excited because you're about to hear us tell some of our favorite tales of the wilderness now the wilderness sometimes can be a scary place especially at night and that's why we have the warm glow of the fire right here to illuminate the shadows but that doesn't mean that we all haven't had some crazy experiences out in the wild 
some of us may have had some on our own. Some of us may have heard some from friends, family, foes, whoever they may be. And today we're here to tell you about all those stories. Sitting around the campfire, knowing that that campfire will keep us safe tonight from all the things over there yonder. Who else is really excited to hear a story today? I'm 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 quite excited. Again, Spookies is not my seasons, but I love the Spooky Bunch, so I'm I'm pretty hyped. Spooky season is my season, but I don't like Spooky. But here we go. Well, what I think would be easiest is if we wanted, we can each tell one story, maybe two. It's up to everyone here doesn't matter to me but this is just an open forum storytelling extravaganza how does that sound i don't want to go first <laughs> i will i will go first i will excellent. go first excellent so our first story for today comes from a a place of our shared collective past and albeit i may not list this location by name there may be places and people whose names are altered slightly for the benefit of, say... But will you tell us? Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Please continue. That may be, say, slightly altered for the good of the podcast, knowing full well that I will tell my good friends and co-hosts directly after we are off the air. So the year was... It was my sophomore year of college. I graduated high school in 2017, which means probably about 2019. I was still working at a place where we all have worked before. And this place used to have, probably still does, but used to have these summer events at night to where what they would do is they would um, kind of take over the area, the park, um, and kind of set it up with like a light show and a concert stage and stuff like that so where people could stay presumably after hours in the park at night and enjoy a concert you know enjoy drinks food stuff like that as the the day faded into night with that came a lot of our staff being devoted towards staffing these events as well we had a lot of volunteers who would come through and there were people of our status especially cj and me who would have to manage these individuals make sure they were going where they needed to go that had they what had what they needed to have you know make sure they sat down and kept themselves on honest shifts so they could grab their dinners and stuff like that basically made sure that you know they didn't have heat stroke made sure that they had a proper environment for facilitating their own success in the best way they wanted and so because of that, we were expected to be there for the entirety of these summer nights, which usually lasted till about 11 o'clock is when you would get out. Because I believe the, the events would like last till 10. And then by the time everything was closed up, all yada, 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 it'd be about 11 o'clock when you were getting out of there. Suffice to say, pretty dark. Anyways, this place that I used to work at had a reputation for one of the buildings, which I will call the TLC building, that is Tender Loving Care. This building had definitely a reputation for being at the very least mildly haunted. Now by whom that, you know, 
varies between who you will talk to working at this place. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know what this story was until you started saying it. I can confirm that this building is, in fact, haunted because I've mm-hmm. experienced ghosts in this building. Which is really funny that you came out earlier and said you were the skeptic of the group. Uh, yeah, I am, in fact, the skeptic of the group, but I'll confirm this building is haunted. I've experienced uh-huh. it. Anyway, please continue. So, this this place, as CJ and I have stated, had, at the very least, a reputation up until this point, at my knowledge, of being haunted. And I, you know... Did I like being in there alone at night? No. Did I like being anywhere alone at night in the dark? Also, no. So it was hard to chalk that up to real bad vibes and what was just, you know, just being out in the middle of the dark and nowhere. Like, it's hard, very hard to tell that. Well, I was working with a co-worker one day, and, she, uh, and we were both staffing our things together and we got to the TLC building and felt pretty unnerved for some reason like very very much so unnerved more so than usual and I'd always felt unnerved in that building when I was alone there's stories of um, that building having toilets flush randomly you know lights going on and off hearing sounds and doors and all that I never experienced anything like that, but for some reason at this night in particular, working with Samantha, for some uh, Lord knows that reason, we just felt bad. And I remember we were goofing around about it and we were trying to like kind of muster up the courage to go in there off the golf cart and just could not find the courage to go in there. And so we're standing outside. And one thing you should know about this job is that we needed radios to communicate to each other. Walkie-talkies, if you will. At the end of the night, what we would do is we'd turn off the radio because no one else was around, right? Who am I going to radio when just about everyone else in this park has left if I need help? It's a moot point. I just have my phone at that point, right? So we're standing outside the TLC building, sitting on the golf cart trying to muster up the courage and thinking we're seeing shadows moving around in there, but that's probably just the lights playing tricks on us. When all of a sudden, this radio, which has been turned off for most of the night, especially within the last hour leading up to this event, this radio bursts to life all of a sudden right outside the TLC building with just the lowest, gruffest male voice I think I ever heard just going, hello, hello. My coworker, Samantha, looks at me, and I look at her. We both let out a little yelp, and then go reach to turn off the radio, because we're, uh, oh, we're stupid. We left the radio on, only to see that the radio is turned off, still vibrating with sounds, coming through the radio as the switch is flipped off. Then all of a sudden, standing out there behind the TLC building, a door with one of those automatic door buttons opens up almost as if a beacon asking for us to come in. It almost felt like. So naturally what we did was we failed to punch out and left the what is it called? The the golf cart key in a place it did not belong because we refused to go in there. And that is my story about the radio at the TLC building 
you definitely gave some vague details there. And even though I can confirm that that building's haunted, I'm still still a skeptic, and I simply refuse to believe. Um, so instead of sharing a spooky dooky ghost story, wait, hold up, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> as a skeptic to... who believes this building is haunted, as I disagree. A skeptic, <laughs> as a skeptic who believes this building is haunted, I simply refuse to acknowledge the existence of this story being true. You ask about this. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. No, I know. Uh-huh. I've had very similar experiences in this building. The the walkie thing threw us, and I still can't yeah. explain. This yeah, point. I've had very similar experiences in this building. Um, that was It was brutal. The guys yeah. at the commissary used to tell stories about that building and yeah. the birds. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That, that South Pond area. That whole area is like... There's another one, I, and I don't remember what building... It was if it was if it, there was like a keeper who died on like I don't know if, mm, yeah says yeah. a, like, a skeptic mm, I'll mess with I'll mess with ghosts <laughs> no no Cryptid, there's no cryptids I, I will not acknowledge but ghosts no don't mess with that yeah mm, oh not a fan yeah do you want to go first because mine is like fully a real story that happened in real life like mine's there's no mysticism to my story yeah I can. So my story isn't my own, but it is it is a person who's an extension of me. It it is it is his story. So it is my husband Adam's personal story. So um for those of you listeners who most of you don't know, um my husband likes to go ghost hunting during his spare time. Um and that is something that he he gets to go out and enjoy alone cuz I refuse cuz spooky. Um, but he does come back and share all of his stories with me. And so, um, he went to, I believe it was an old, um, like penitentiary. Um, and him and his friends were, they decided they were going to split up. And some of them took one floor and the others took another and they were roaming around trying to get things to happen some spooky ghost things and they came across this man who um was like oh my goodness i just had like the coolest experience down in the dungeon now the dungeons there were kind of like the showers so it was just kind of like an old creepy shower area um and so this guy told Adam that when he was down there um, he had felt hands go up his thighs and so Adam's like heck yeah I'm going to go down and see if something happens so he goes down into into the showers into this dungeon area and just says out loud um hey, I heard you're touching people down here. He's like, go ahead, and gives the ghost permission. And he sits down in these showers and waits. And Adam says that he felt hands start from the base of his feet and go all the way up his thighs. And it felt like someone was, like, caressing all of his, like, all of his um, legs. And so... Um, he, they, like, 
go back and they like all find each like all of his friends find each other and they like I guess start to leave or something and something threw a rock at them. And so Adam likes to be able to debunk debunk things. So he likes going to like these haunted um, places to try to debunk what what's going on and try to find the logic in it. And those are the two like in the same the same place. Like he couldn't they could not debunk was Adam getting felt up by a ghost and like this rock just whipping being whipped at their heads. Y'all better watch out, Brenda. You got competition. <laughs> if I have to compete against a ghost, to be honest, the ghost can have them because ghosts are spooky. I'm not fighting a ghost. You wouldn't fight a ghost for your own husband. Hear that, Adam? Adam, you're listening right here. She loves you. Adam would probably be like, nah, that's fair. <laughs> Just not enough. To a cutting board and then cut into pieces as a ghost. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was like a ghost. So spooky. Wow. That's right, folks. I'm a skeptic. Even though both of those stories haunted me to my very core, um, I am a skeptic and I don't believe it. Even though if you're a ghost listening to the Pretty Much Podcast, one, tell Mark, tell your ghost friends. And two, <laughs> <laughs> Please, I'm so afraid. Please don't bother me. Um, but I'm a skeptic. See, my story that I have for you both is not a story of ghosts, but instead a story which could potentially create a ghost. A story of gore and really kind of science gone wrong in a way. So I'm going to tell you both a story, and this is not a story that happened to me because... Like I said, I'm a little bit too nervy, got too much of the uh, the anxiety in my brain to feel comfortable sharing uh, stories like that. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the story of of a herpetologist, of a scientist, and this is a story of Carl P. Schmidt. Have either of you ever heard of Carl P. Schmidt? That's okay. Many haven't, because his life may have been cut short. In September of 1957, someone from the Lincoln Park Zoo brought a young snake, which is about 30 inches, to the Chicago Natural History Museum, which is now present-day Field Museum, and they really wanted help identifying the snake. This was a time when basically zoos were a lot of collections. Things were sort of transitioning in this period between private collections and conservation centers. It was sort of this transitionary period. and. A lot of science, especially with herpetology, wasn't really up to par, especially in terms of being education facilities like present day at Lincoln Park Zoo. Instead, they were just taking care of this snake and didn't really know what it was. So they brought this young snake, about 30 inches, to the Chicago History Museum. And famed herpetologist Carl P. Schmidt, who was working at the Natural History Museum at the time, he agreed to take a look at the snake. He was a well-known snake expert, prestigious in his field. He was very, very skilled at identifying snakes. And he was so successful that he even had many snake species named after him. So, like I said, September 1957, 
Schmidt takes that snake into his office, takes it out of whatever container it's in, and starts to identify it, because that's that's their goal, right? Is they want to identify what species of snake this is. So Schmidt noted that the snake was African, similarly, you know, because it had some highly colored patterns, and the head was a very similar shape to that of a boomslang snake, which is a type of venomous snake found in sub-Saharan Africa. Schmidt, however, kind of had his doubts about it actually being a boomslang, because as he recorded in his journal, there was some issues with, you know, start certain scales on the snake didn't quite match what they had seen previously in boomslang. What Schmidt did next was basically something that would be ultimately responsible for ending his life. He picked the snake up, trying to figure out what, what was going on with the snake, trying to figure out what it was. And unsurprisingly, as he was kind of puzzling this unique specimen, the snake darted out and bit him on his thumb. Leaving a two, leaving two three millimeter deep bloody puncture wounds on his hand. After immediately putting the snake back, Schmidt began sucking on the wounds instead of seeking further medical attention. And instead, he turned to his journal and began recording the effects the venom was having on him. Within 24 hours, he'd be pronounced dead. So the following is the journal of Carl P. Schmidt. <laughs> it was unsure whether he thought the snake bite would actually be fatal or not, but this man, after he got bit, it was the end of his work day, he decided, I'm gonna go home <laughs> rather than seek medical attention. So he took the train home from work and continued to record the effect of the venom in his journal. From 4 to 5.30 p.m., he was feeling strong nausea but without vomiting during a trip to Homewood, went on a suburban train. 5.30 to 6.30, he was strong, chill, and shaking, followed by a fever of 101.7. Bleeding of mucous membranes in the mouth began around 5.30, apparently mostly from gums. At 8.30 p.m., he ate two pieces of milk toast. 9 p.m. to 12.20 a.m., he slept well. Urinated at 12.20 a.m., mostly blood, but a small amount took a glass of water at 4.30 a.m., followed by a violent nausea and vomiting, the contents of the stomach being undigested supper. Felt much better, then slept until 6.30. September 26th, 6.30 a.m., temperature 98.2. Ate cereal and poached eggs on toast and applesauce and coffee for breakfast. No urine with an ounce of blood about every three hours. Mouth and nose continuing to bleed, not excessively. Excessively was the last word Schmidt ever entered into his diary at lunch around 1.30 p.m. He called his wife, but by the time help arrived, he was unresponsive, covered in sweat, and unable to talk. The physician attempted, like, resuscitation, but by 3 p.m., Schmidt was pronounced dead from respiration paralysis. Boomslang venom, in fact, does act quickly, so just .0006 milligrams can kill a bird in just a few seconds but a bite usually has quite a bit more than that and according to his autopsy report his lungs were bleeding, his eyes were bleeding his heart and his kidneys and his brain were all bleeding the Chicago Daily Tribune reported that Schmidt was advised to seek medical help just hours before he died 
But Schmidt refused, refusing to say that no, that would upset the symptoms. Anyway, this is what I think of a, is what I think of a spooky story. This man literally cataloged his death, and I think that's horrifying. Yeah, I will definitely say that is pretty, um, what's the term, brutal? To say the very least, right? So, I know ghost stories tend to mystify us and terrify us because they are, what's the term, ethereal, right? Like, there's something about that, like, externalized nature of, like, not understanding what's going on. That's pretty bone-chilling. I will say there's also something equally bone-chilling about something so mundane, right? Like, a boom slang in Chicago and documenting one's death as time passes. Like, that's real. That really happened. And there's no questioning it. There's an autopsy. And there's something really horrifying by that as well. So I'd say we're kind of wrapping up, but I'd like to tell one more story. A story of recent addition to my catalog as far as storytelling goes. So this story, for me, is a pretty pretty fun one. Kind of like Britney's, it's a story from someone else's catalog. Um, but it's one that has really direct relevance and that has affected me in a lot of ways as well. So I work at a state park, Houston Wood State Park, and I'm a naturalist there. And one of the programs that we do is called the Night Hike. Now, the Night Hike is a hike at night. We'll go into the campground. We've got a really rudimentary trail that exists within the campground so that people can do that and not be worried about you know tripping or falling you know there's not a lot of tree roots obviously it's not a perfectly paved trail but it is a pretty nonetheless pretty standard nice little trail that you don't have to worry too much about so I have this co-worker who used to do night hikes before I did his name is Kevin. Kevin was telling me one time, you know, he used to do these night hikes. And the start of the night hike always ends up at this little mound, which was created by the Adena people. The Adena people lived about 500 BC to 500 AD. They're a very, very, very old group of ancestral people. And that trailhead that we go on is called Indian Mound Trail because there is the mound directly next to it. Now this mound isn't a burial mound. This mound is just something that had pottery and such and, you know, a lot of textiles and all that buried in it. It kind of like layered on top and top and top and top and top. But that doesn't mean that people necessarily you know believe that right and one day my co-worker Sean went in did his spiel about the Adena people and then he went on his merry little way right to go and do the rest of the night hike now as he was doing this night hike he kept seeing people what looked like shadows or 
something of the sorts popping up all in the woods surrounding him. And it's pretty abnormal at that time, especially of night, for that to be the case, right? There's not a lot of night hikers, especially in Houston Woods State Park. And so, Sean kind of took notice of it, but didn't necessarily, you know, go and try and confront anybody. That wasn't really his aim. What ended up happening was he got all the way back to where at the start of this trailhead there is a little it's like a it's like a fire fire pit. He got back to that fire pit. The night hike always starts out with a fire. Got back to that fire pit and saw two more shadows slip towards the mound. Well, he thought to himself, what on earth is going on here, right? There's just these just random, you know, shadows following him all through the park and everything. And that's really weird, especially when you think of the fact that you got some weird stuff sometimes that happens in state parks in outdoor spaces and stuff like that. But casting all better reason to the wind, he decided to go in and follow those shadows until he came across. A couple people on the mound. He wasn't sure what he was looking at, and so he decided to carefully go up to them. Um, but as he went up to him, he noticed that they were using what's known as an EMF meter that has electromagnetic frequency, and it's used for ghost hunting. So these two shadows that had been tailing in the whole time were, in fact, ghost hunters who were searching for the ghosts at Air quotes, burial mound. Not actually a burial mound. And when he walked up to him, he noticed their, their, their voices were dripping with excitement because they had found the highest reading on their EMF meter they'd ever found. Now, she was a skeptic, is a skeptic. He was pretty amazed by that and until he uh, looked over their shoulders and pointed out the electrical pole right in front of them. If you're using a meter to pick up electromagnetic frequencies and standing next to electrical pole, it's office to say you're probably picking up the pole rather than the meters themselves. And so I've scoured and scoured and scoured with how old Houston Woods is, how old the stories are about them, and I to this day cannot find a single ghost story that happens within those parks. Which is weird because, given all this context, I went back a couple weeks later, as I always work out there, and Houston Woods surrounds this very large, damned, unnatural lake known as Acton Lake. I was sitting on the beach, stargazing, and I looked across the lake, and I saw these glowing orbs floating through the forest and at first I'm standing there and I thought well those are campers except for the fact that one the orbs weren't around any campground or any area like that I know those woods and I know there's nothing out there like that and more importantly two 
they weren't reflecting off the water the way everything else was. So, did Sean experience ghost hunters who very clearly didn't know what they were talking about? Yes. Did that lure me maybe into a false sense of hope of, or sense of there being no ghosts combined with the fact that, frankly, I could not find out. I mean, I spent hours looking for ghost stories of Houston Woods to tell on my night hikes, and I couldn't find anything. Does that mean I'm entirely convinced that I saw people that night? Not necessarily. I don't know what to say about it. I'm posing this question to you all, folks. Because to this day, that mystifies me. Absolutely not. It's Absolutely not. No, see, again, I'm a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I refuse. No, don't mess with ghosts. Well, I'd say it's about time we uh, put a bucket of water on this campfire because it is sufficiently late and I am too tired to tell any more spooky tales. Plus, frankly... This is only halfway through the spooky bunch. We have a lot more spooks in store for y'all. Yeah, the spooks are really just getting started. And I feel like today was peak spook. Frankly, mm-hmm. this is peak spook. Yeah, we've got a lot still coming for y'all. If you're excited to follow along with us, hang out with us for some more spooky content, go spe- go check out our very spooky social medias. You can find me at Matt Valga. That's M-A-T-T-V is in Victor, A-L-I-G-A. And you'll probably see some spooky stuff coming up on my Instagram. Brittany and CJ, where can people get scared by your social medias? You can find me on the gram at the Brittany Bunch, T-H-E-B is in Bird, R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, underscore B is in Brichter, U-N-C-H. And you can find me on the social medias at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. And you can find all of us collectively at the Bird Bunch podcast on both Instagram as Facebook. In addition, you can also go check us out at our website. That is www.thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. In case you've forgotten since the start of the episode, we actually are running a merch code. And to find that merch store, you can find that on our website as well as a link to our Patreon as well. Thank you to Gabe Anderley for being our patron. We really appreciate your support. Like I mentioned, that merch code, as a reminder, is SPOOKY2022, S-P-O-O-K-Y, all in caps, and then 2022. If you're not able to support us financially, totally understand that. It's also really helpful if you do just a couple things. For starters, Tell a friend. We really, really appreciate being able to spread the word about our podcast and being able to spread so much conservation, education, and fascination. And that doesn't doesn't happen without you all listening. So we really appreciate any family, friend, foe that you can tell about the podcast. You can also leave a review. If you leave a five-star review, we will read it on the podcast. I don't believe we have any currently. But Go ahead and leave one of those, and we will read it out as well. And last, but certainly not least, definitely buckle in for the spooky season, folks. Like I said, there's five weeks, which means that's an extra week of spooks for you. I hope y'all are ready for it. We'll catch you next time.
Anyway, that's a good one, folks. Anyway. Thanks so much, all you nature lovers, for listening to yet another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would especially like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our art for our episodes, as well as Connor Women for producing our music. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.